Good morning, church. Everybody doing okay? Getting over the 4th of July celebration. Midweek, it was kind of odd, wasn't it? Kind of just stuck right in the middle. Didn't know whether to take off the weekend before Monday and Tuesday or Thursday and Friday. And this weekend, it was kind of confusing, wasn't it? Well, I hope you had a good, good week, good celebration, good holiday. All that went well for you. Um, and uh, everything's going well. So we're going to have a good time this morning. Staying in the book of John and, and looking at a familiar passage, I think a lot of people have heard about the vine and the branches and Jesus teaching on this um, as he's walking with his disciples. And we're going to uh, really peel back the layers of this, I hope, and, um, and get a little bit more understanding. Hopefully it'll have an impact on you as it has on me. So I'm going to ask you to turn to John chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 1 through 9 to begin with, and then we're going to uh, throughout the message, kind of go back and forth, but we're also going to go to Psalm chapter 80. I'd like for you to uh, put a marker there, and then we'll go back to John chapter 15 and finish that out with verses 10 through 17. Kind of breaks itself up the way Jesus tells the story of um, uh, abiding in Him and being a part of who He is as the vine, and we're going to get into the details of that. But I'm going to read this, uh, read this text, and then we're going to pray and we'll jump right in. So look with me to John chapter 15. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Um, as we pray, I, I want to just pause real quick. I don't know how enamored you are um, by the soccer team in the cave in Thailand, but I wanted to, to pray about that this morning. If you have not seen that four have been rescued from the cave successfully, I also think it's very, uh, very neat that they're 11 hours ahead of us, and as we are gathering to worship um, throughout this land is a time that we can also pause and pray that that is, they're calling it D-Day, that they're doing everything they can. This is the day they have to get these kids out because of the rising waters and all that's gone into it, um, but I'm just enamored by those things and drawn into it and, and just can't keep my eyes off of it. But when I saw that come up, it was right before a 9 o'clock service that those four, four of the 12 have been rescued and uh, made it out successfully. So I think that's a praise and we want to continue to pray for them. So let's go to God and prepare for this, this time today. God, we're thankful for the morning. We're thankful, God, for your word and for the opportunity, the freedom to be able to break it open and to be able to be in a place that uh, we can sit comfortably and be able to do that. But God, right now we also pause and, and lift up uh, so many families who are um, just holding vigil outside of that cave in Thailand, 
who've been there for, for 12 days now and, and beside themselves, 12 or 14 days. I'm not, don't really remember, but God, how, how uh, just can't imagine what these families have, have gone through, what they're going through. Uh, for the sacrifice that's already been made in the, the life of a, a diver who died this week um, trying to, to get back out of there after taking supplies. God, we lift his family up to you as well. But God, for all volunteers, for those who are there, we lift them up to you right now as that's going on. As we sit here, as we look into this word, God, we lift them up to you. So God, we thank you and we love you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So as we think about this, this vine and the branches and, and being a part of this vine and being intertwined with God and all of that, I was thinking about this week and over the past couple of months, I've had to do some traveling and where things did not go as I wanted them to. And whether it was because I wasn't uh, intertwined with God or with my schedule or whatever it was, but things just did not go the way I wanted them to go. And it began when I was uh, headed out to, I had to teach a class in Laguna Niguel, California, which is in South, Southern California, never been to California in my life. But I had to fly out there to teach this class on peer support to a, to an, a government agency. So I, I left here, and it was a Sunday morning flight. My flight was supposed to um, begin boarding um, a little after 7, leaving about 7.30. So I left here in plenty of time, got to the airport a little before 6.30 and headed into the old check uh, lanes there. And Savannah Airport's, you know, pretty calm in the mornings. They just turn on the lights and stuff because it does actually close like some other airports done. But they, they had to open up. <clears throat> so I'm going through the line and I get through there and I begin the process of declothing as you do when you fly now. I'm taking off my boots and looking around taking off my belt and, you know, checking, kind of making eye contact with the TSA agent, just enough, keeping my pants on, not going to go that far. So I do all that, and I take my briefcase, and I go to take my computer out, and my laptop is not there. And I have this sinking, very empty feeling for a brief moment, and like, oh, my gosh. So all these thoughts go to my mind, what am I going to do, what, how am I going to get it, because there's no way I can teach this class without it with my entire presentation on there for five days, a 40-hour class that I'm teaching. Every, my life is on this computer. How am I going to get it? I'm looking at my watch. It's, it's right at 6.30. I'm an hour away. The plane leaves in an hour. How am I going to do this? So I go to the TSA agent, and that's my biggest concern. If I run out of here, am I going to get shot in the back? Who do I tell? What do I do? So I get my clothes back on, get back to the guy, and I'm like, uh, excuse me, sir, but I can't find my computer. I'm I think it may be in my truck. Pray that it's in my truck. He said, well, just go back, you know, go on and do what you need to do, but you'll have to come back through the line. I thought it was an odd statement because I was planning on going straight to the plane. You know, I was going to go around the back and uh, just get on the plane. But anyway, I run out of the truck. I look all through the truck. It's not there. So I call Lisa. It's, you know, she's sound asleep. She's like, who's this? I said, it's your husband. And um, who else is calling you at 630? Anyway, I, she... I said, would you mind just looking in the kitchen and see if my computer's there? No, it was. I had thought back through. I knew it was there. So I charged the night before. She goes, yeah, it's sitting here on the bar. What do we need to do? I said, I, I guess all I can do is you just start driving. I'll start driving. We'll see where we meet. So obeying all traffic laws, I get in my truck and leave the Savannah Airport flying through Pooler. Get out there, and, and we pass each other somewhere around Blitchton. 
all right, literally pass each other. Whoa, there she goes. I whip it around, grab the computer from her, jump back in the truck, run back through, get through the line. Literally, the lady's pulling the door to at the gate. I'm like, ah, it's like a movie, you know, just running down there, which nobody else was running because it was the only gate open, so I was the only one at the airport. It wasn't as dramatic as you think it was, but I made it, barely. So fast forward a few weeks, I had to be in Dallas, Texas to teach the same class to uh, an agency and uh, was going to fly out of Atlanta this time. And reason being, it's a little bit less expensive, but also my son was playing uh, ball in Augusta, so I rented a car and I was just going to rent a car and drive up there and just drop it off so I wouldn't have to leave it because we were going on vacation after that. Planned way ahead, plenty of time, return the car, get there on I-20, get right outside the perimeter, and guess what? Yes, everyone had stopped for no apparent reason getting into Atlanta. So then I'm running late. Then road rage kicks in, too, and you know my issues with that. Wonder why in the world are these people not going? So I'm sitting in traffic, time's clicking, time's clicking, time's clicking. I'm thinking, i got to return this car and get to the airport and get the security. So I get all the way in there. I don't know if you returned a car in Atlanta lately, but it's quite an event. You just kind of cruise through there. They take you through all these turns. You get right to hell, take a left. And I think then I finally got to where I was supposed to be. Get out of the car. They're like, we're just scanning this in. You're good to go. So where do I go? Well, you go up this escalator, this escalator. But the escalators are out, so you're going to need to take the elevators. Jeez. Oh, all right, so I'm cruising up there. I'm also a guy, do not check baggage. If I'm going out for a month or a year, I'm going to find a way to have a carry-on. Right, I'm not checking baggage. I don't trust them. So, you know, if you even have to wear it for 10 days in a row, I am going to not check baggage. So I'm hauling that, running up these escalators that are off, which is an oxymoron. But anyway, I'm still trying to get there. Then they take you on this sky train, which I thought I was going to Disney World. I was excited, but it just dropped me off at the airport. So I run in. Now I'm in another security line, and it's creeping kind of walking through, watching the clock, about 15 minutes now to my plane leaves, not boards, but leaves, get all the way up there, start through the line, ask the lady, I'm like, all right, computer out right here, I said, I got my jacket, can I just put it on top of that, she goes, yeah, just set it on top of that, but go through, and you get on the other side of this line, if you're looking at it, there's this glass wall, and then this other guy standing next to me, he goes, what's on the other side of that glass wall, and I said, well, if the if something gets caught in your stuff, it goes behind that. That's the, that's the loser line when it kicks it out and goes behind the glass wall. You know where I'm going, right? So my stuff comes down, sits there, gets scanned, poop, behind the glass wall. I'm like, God, you've got to be kidding. God, what are you trying to teach me today? Because I'm not in the mood for learning. That's what I was thinking. So then the slowest man in America who works for TSA, Tim Conway, kind of dates me he grabs my stuff and he begins to move across the room with it I was like sir did you is there any way is there something wrong what's going on he goes yeah your jacket's on top of your computer we got to run it back through I'm like yeah she told me never mind just send it through I said can we expedite this is there any he says I'll I'll be there in a minute with you so he sends it back through finally gets it again running through door closing moment happened to me twice I'm thinking, what in the world am I doing wrong here? I'm trying to plan ahead. What is going on here? And I started thinking about that. Why is it that, you know, if we, if, if, every, if we think we've got everything under control, 
and we still don't make it. And then the key to that, to me, and as I even and talked about as I prepared for this, it's thinking I have control, right? And, and, and knowing that I have none whatsoever, as much as I may plan, as much as I try to do, some things just don't work out. And I thought about this in, in this story. In beginning in John 13, Jesus gives this series of farewell speeches all the way through chapter 17. And these are teachings that precede his betrayal, his arrest, his crucifixion, and, uh, and his resurrection. And it's happening or it begins in the upper room. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, I will not speak with you much longer. For the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now and let us leave. So the picture I have is that Jesus and his disciples walk out of the upper room and they begin to just kind of journey through the city and they're walking along and they see, maybe Jesus just sees a grapevine. And grapevines were were all over the place in Israel and became really a, a, an icon for them. And even as on some of their coins, was on their coins then, is on their coins now. So it's a very common thing for people to see were these grapevines. And he would tell them this object lesson that I think that they would never forget. So first of all, Jesus himself provides life because he is the true vine. In the Old Testament, Israel was referred to as the vine, but they were judged for, for, bear, for not bearing fruit. Now Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am. Jesus used the I am statement over and over in the book of John. This is about the 10th time that he's used it in this text. And Jesus tells his disciples, I am the vine. I'm the real deal. I'm the genuine one. I am the real vine. They had had these stories from the Old Testament, had these stories from the scribes and, and the, the Pharisees and the leaders who had taught these messages over and over about Israel being the vine. And now Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the one. This is big news. Well, the vine is the source of life. It's how the branches and the fruit get their nourishment. It's the very basic to fruit bearing. And there's no life apart from the vine. The trunk is so important to that. And I think about that even in my yard and going through and I see a vine going up a tree and I just, I, I take delight in just cutting the bottom of the vine. Knowing in a couple days it's going to wither and I can just snatch that thing off of there, right? But the trunk is so important that the rest of the vine cannot live without the trunk. Psalm 80 gives us this prophetic picture of it. Psalm 80 verse 7 says, restore us and restore us. Those words are used 1,050 times in the Old Testament. And it means to repent us or turn us. Oh God Almighty, make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. Verse 14, return to us, repent us, turn us. Oh God Almighty, look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your foot... The root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself, your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire at, at your rebuke. Your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. This is the Old Testament prophesying about Jesus. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us. Repent us. Turn us. 
O Lord God Almighty, make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. The people of Israel were, were, were crying out for someone to save them. No longer is a man blessed just by being in Israel any more than we are blessed by being Americans. A person is only blessed, truly blessed, when he or she is in Christ. It's not by where you live or, or, or who you are, but about the relationship with Jesus Christ. Israel bore no fruit. And the true vine, the true Israel of God is the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, turn us to you that we may be saved and sustained by that true vine is what they were claiming. You have to notice the word that's used ten times in ten verses. The word remain or abide. We probably would use the word stay, don't move. It's used there in the sense to be held continually. It's a Continue, a, a, a condition of permanence. A condition of permanence. It's a, a place, a, a, a way that we situate ourselves so that we can take on the nourishment of Jesus Christ. I think about my satellite dish. It's got to be fixed in a specific way in order to receive the, the, uh, the signal from the satellite to give me my TV, right? It's got to be positioned in the exact way till it rains and then I don't know what happens with that. 771 comes up. I'm not really sure what that means. It just doesn't work anymore. But Jesus alone is the only way to receive life. And that's permanent life and fruit-bearing, God-glorifying. To remain continually in Christ is to have life. Jesus would shortly give his own life for those who would believe in him by faith. He would be sacrificed himself on a cross and they would have eternal life remaining in him. The second part of this is of the vine dresser or the gardener. God the Father. God himself as the vine dresser. And this is the more difficult part of this passage. That a lot of people have been debating about for years and years. About once saved, always saved. Can you be taken out of the hand of God? Can you lose your salvation? All those types of questions come up when it comes to purging the vine. Well, the work of the Father is two different things. One is to prune fruit-bearing branches and purge fruitless branches. I guess you could call me sort of a plant killer. I'm not very good at, at plants for some reason. I can mow grass. I can grow grass. And I can take care of trees, but the plant industry is not something I'm really good at. So I tend to either forget to water or I overwater. I don't even understand that concept, how something can have too much water, but I guess it can. Somebody gives me a, a rubber plant and said, it's a very hardy plant, you can't kill it. <laughs> yeah, that was a, just like a challenge, right? So I did. I killed it deader than a hammer. And... But I, I noticed and I watched it and these big old fat leaves would fall off of it. I'm like, God, leaves and need water. It's not need water. I don't know what to do. Stick a finger in there. I, I, it just didn't, nothing helped, you know. So it died. And, and it didn't just happen overnight, right? It's over time that we neglect things and that happens. So one by one, the branches and the leaves fall off the vine. This, I think, is what Jesus is explaining to us. He explains that by not abiding in him, we're like 
my pitiful plants will soon fall off the vine. Our roots where we receive nourishment were never really planted. Scripture says, the Father cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. When Jesus gave this example to the disciples, they, they no doubt thought of Judas, who had just betrayed or was about to betray Jesus and, and had gone on his way. I think Jesus endured millions of Judases, people who outwardly attach themselves to Jesus Christ but have no inward relationship with him. And I think that's a dangerous place to be. And I don't fully understand why people would do that, but I see it all the time, and I probably have been guilty of that in my life early on before I really knew what a relationship with Christ was. Maybe, maybe they do it for the fellowship of the people, or maybe they want to fool themselves into thinking they're religious. Maybe they want to glorify someone or, um, in, in their social or family network so they can kind of cover up their own guilt by certain behaviors that appear to be religious, maybe that's the reason. Maybe they're afraid of God and they want God's salvation, but on their terms. I'm going to do it my way, God. I'm going to, I'm going to just do enough. I'm going to behave in a way that looks religious, and maybe I can pacify you enough, God, for you to give me salvation. And that's a lie from the depths of hell. You cannot earn it. You cannot do enough. You cannot behave well enough to earn God's salvation. Our text tells us that spiritual fruit is the sign of spiritual life. That you are in the life-giving true vine. And there is no fruit. The Father cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire to be burned. I think this was a, probably a very vivid image for them and maybe even saw it as they're strolling through town and they get on the outskirts of town and they see these vineyards and there's smoke billowing up in, in different areas of the vineyard where they've cut off certain branches and they light them on fire and burn those things up. They knew exactly what this meant. But if you don't prune a vine or a fruit tree, it actually ends up not producing any quality fruit at all. So not only purging the, the dead ones, but pruning the ones that are producing fruit. They have to be pruned back so that they're not sucking the life out of everything else. Eventually, all the non-producing branches steal the life from the fruit. So the Father cuts off, purges the dead branches, but prunes, cuts, and cleans away some of the stray sucker branches. He prunes us by the Word of God. He says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Because of God's saving grace. Because of the words that Jesus speaks, he offers us salvation through forgiveness and the belief in him. The word is life. The spirit gives life and salvation. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you. Apart from abiding in me, you are dead. Separate, separate a branch from the vine and it dies. Separate coal from a fire and it goes out. Those sucker branches that must be removed are sins or distractions that they're diverting or distracting us, stunting our fruit-bearing ability. And the Father will see to it that branches that are living in Christ will be healthy, even through the pain of pruning, so they will produce that spiritual fruit. 
And that pruning that goes on to the things that if we are saved, that we, we feel that Holy Spirit kind of pressing on us and saying, this is something that needs to change in your life. We need to prune out those things that hinder us from receiving that nourishment from God. And those things can be millions of different things. It may be a relationship that you're in. A relationship you're in with somebody and you know it's not the right thing to do. It may be that you are, are, are texting someone that you're not married to. And you shouldn't be doing that because it's bringing up feelings in you that you know are not right. Stop it. Maybe you're in a dating relationship and, and, and sex is involved in that relationship and you know it's not the right thing to do. Those are the things that God wants to prune. The habits in our lives, the things that we get drawn into. It may be eating. It may be pornography. It may be whatever we want to name as a sin, not just picking and choosing. But what is it in your life that may get, keep you from receiving God's nourishment? God wants to prune those things away. Cut off that part of the branch so that you can receive the nourishment of God and produce fruit. Not rotten fruit. So Judas was cut off. He was purged from the vine, but the other 11 disciples abide. Jesus urges them to abide, to stay in him. Don't miss that. Stay in him to produce more fruit. The Father will continue to care for them, care for their branches as they abide in him. Then Jesus teaches that the work and function of the branches is to abide in Christ and then to eventually produce fruit. So who are the branches? The disciples, of course. The people who are called to follow their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we, who know Jesus Christ, who have a relationship with Christ, are branches. All branches will have some fruit, even if it's just a little. It might be much fruit, in some cases even more fruit, but always God-glorifying fruit, never self-glorifying fruit. There is no place in God's kingdom vineyard for barren, no-fruit branches. There's only life and fruit for those who are in the vine. Jesus is clear in explaining this fruit-producing principle, I think, when he said, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. And this is where I think that we, we pod on the dangerous ground. When we're out here trying to do our own thing, even religiously, if I read this more, if I pray harder, if I attend 10 Bible studies, if I leave, go to the 9 o'clock service at Connection and then go to another service somewhere else, that'll get me closer to God. I can, I can build on that relationship. And I think that's where a lot of Christians live, of trying to behave differently, trying to, to do this checklist. And that's not what Jesus has said at all. That's not what he has ever taught. That's pharisaical nonsense. When the, we abide by a law... We get hung up into this dark place of having to do a checklist mentality. We don't read this, attend here, pray to get closer to God. We do those things because we are close to God. They are, they are the fruit. They are something that we want to do, that we desire to do. We can't not do them when we are in the vine. If you abide, if you stay attached to the vine, you bear fruit. 
It's just common sense. I think any five-year-old knows that when you lop a branch off, it's not going to live. You don't have to be a horticulturist. You don't have to be a botanist. You don't have to be an arborist to understand these things. If I cut a branch off in my yard and, I, and it falls on the ground, it's going to be brown tomorrow. And I'm going to burn it because I love having a burn pile. That's what I'm going to do next. It's never going to, I can't reattach it. I can't duct tape it back to the tree. It's not going to sustain life. If the branch is dead, it's not coming back to life. There's no chance of it coming back to life. The options are up to the vine dresser because the gardener knows. The branch is at the mercy of the vine dresser and lives by the grace of the vine. As long as the branch is attached to the vine, the branch is totally reliant on the nourishment provided. A branch does what a branch should do when it's attached to the trunk. It grows, it receives nourishment, it produces fruit. But a branch doesn't perform better by trying to be a better branch or trying to suck out more and more nourishment from the the, the vine. A branch doesn't say, I'm going to be a better fruit producer than that branch over there. I can out-fruit you. And that's not what he's saying at all. It can't happen that way. It's when pride enters into us. Now, I got better fruit than you. Look at the fruit over here. Man, this looks good. I got good fruit. You got bad fruit. I got more fruit. It's not what he's saying at all. We cannot do that. You produce if you've been born out of the true vine, Jesus. His word abides in you because you're attached to him. Our life is in the vine because the vine produced us. And now we abide in the vine. So look at John chapter 15. Let's look at verse 10. And these are the examples of what happens if we do abide. What happens if we stay in the vine? If we do what God has called us to do, what happens? Beginning with verse 10. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. So what are the results of this abiding? What happens to us? What what goes on inside of us if we truly abide in Christ and we stay in the vine? Well, I think the first thing that happens is abiding will be fruitful and it will produce holiness. Holiness, H-O-L-I-N-E-S-S, holiness. Bearing spiritual fruit is for all God's branches. We can't be barren. That may not be our intention, but it's the result of being in Christ. Even if we come to know Christ and we're like, all right, I got this new relationship, even if it's not our intention to get closer to God, if he's living in us, it's going to happen. 
Because we're part of the vine. We're staying in the vine. That nourishment is going to come through. To bear wholesome or holy some fruit. Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, staying attached and bearing fruit, gentleness and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is the character of Jesus Christ. I love this. If we're abiding in Him, if we're spiritually and vitally connected to Him, then His character, His fundamental nature, His Spirit is going to flow through us and become evident in our lives. That's what people are going to see. It's going to be evident in our thoughts and our feelings and our words and our actions. It comes out everywhere. We can't hide the fruit if we're attached to the vine. The point is this. The heart of our life in Jesus Christ is not our our transformed or renewed or restored character. The heart of our life in Jesus Christ will produce the fruit of the character of Jesus Christ. It's not just kind of a a little extra of who we are and how God made us. It's Jesus Christ's character himself that comes out of us. That's amazing. It's a miracle that only God can do in us because we're we're kind of bad outside of that, right? If we try to, all right, I'm going to try to, Today, I'm going to really, really give it some effort, and I'm going to be more like Christ. And then we drop a bomb at the red light when somebody cuts us off. Well, now I'm going to try a little harder to be like Christ, right? Next thing we'll try to do is walk out across some lake. I'm going to try this. Maybe I can walk on water today. I haven't been able to drive through town without dropping an F-bomb, but other than that, I might can pull it off, right? No, we can't do that. No, nobody can do that. And that's not what he's calling us to do. He says that our life takes on his character, all of it. Abiding in an unbroken connection with Jesus Christ will also produce love. To abide in Jesus means to keep his commandments, and to keep his commandments means to love God with all our hearts, our soul, and our mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. One way that we display our love for God is through trust, prayer, and devotion to Him. We abide through relationship. We pursue in love. We pray in love. We obey in love. And here's the good news. We love Jesus because He first loved us. We didn't choose Him. He chose us, and He chose to walk out our faith in obedience with Him and to Him. Apart from Christ, we can't do anything anything. This is good news, folks. This is great news, especially to those of us who are weary or think that we must muster up strength to pursue and know Christ and, and to love our neighbors ourselves. We, we try to do it on our own. I need to read a little bit more. Oh, gosh, I forgot. Today I'm a failure. I can't go to church. I didn't read my Bible. Somebody's going to know. What am I going to do? That's, that's not what he says. He loves us anyway. The fruit that Jesus speaks of is simply evidence of a relationship with him. If we have a relationship with him, there is fruit. If there is no fruit, there is no no relationship with him. It's pretty simple. Jesus doesn't reject us as a branch that's attached to him. He doesn't care what we've done or who we've done it with. He is still pursuing us. 
He calls us his prized possession. And he commits himself to care and to provide for and to protect us. Why? Because we belong to him. We are part of the vine. He pours his love into me and you. I just love that. We get all the heavenly love that we need in order to produce the fruit of love. And that people are drawn to the fruit that we're producing. So are you, are people attracted to you because of the fruit you produce? Or are they distracted by the fruit that you produce? There's a big difference. Especially when we're claiming this religiosity. We're claiming to be this great Christian. But it's all these things that we're doing ourselves. I think that is, that is nasty fruit that happens there. I think it becomes pharisaical. I think it becomes uh, legalistic. I think it becomes judgmental. And when I'm around Christians like that, I don't want to be around them anymore. It reminds me of driving home from Brunswick yesterday afternoon, and you get right above the Savannah exit, right where they've put in those new landfills. Right after a little rain shower, about 99 degrees outside, holy moly, right? I'm like, what in the world just happened right here? It's like all of Savannah's garbage got put in two hills. Wouldn't you love to have bought property there, right? You hope you're not downwind from it. It's awful. And I think about that with, with some Christians that I'm around and probably myself at times, that the fruit I'm producing has is, is kind of got a stench to it. Because I'm claiming one thing and it comes across as judgmental. I'm like, well, I got that together in my life. I don't know what's going on with you, but you need to straighten up a little bit. And it, it sends us into that performance mentality where we, we're teaching people to do more rather than to abide in Christ. Not that it's easy, but we'll never achieve outperforming God's grace. We never will. It's the fruit of his immeasurable love, love that has existed within the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit from all eternity that's been poured out. And people without his love will be drawn to that succulent fruit that's produced. That's so awesome. The third result of maintaining an ongoing dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ is obedience. I think that obedience is the natural outcome the result of God's love. By abiding in this love that Jesus has for us. Not some mystical feeling or some emotional high. The love is very concrete. It's very active. When you keep Christ's commands, you're abiding in his love. In the chapter prior to this, in John chapter 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, obey my commands. Verse 21, he says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And in verse 23, he says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teachings. The point is obvious. God's love in us will result in a greater obedience to him and a greater love for him. Obedience is a natural fruit that just comes as a result of being in the vine. There's no more of that, all right, I'm in the vine, now what do I do? Uh, what do I do? It's a natural response. I'm in the vine, and God, oh, I want to obey you. I want to do what you just told me to do next because I'm so close to you. We don't have to worry about 
We don't have to worry about producing a certain amount of fruit or worry if I'm going to produce a pineapple or a peach or a grape. Again, pride enters into that and goes, I want to be a pineapple tree. I want to be a grape. No, that's not what he says. Grapes are to the grapevine as obedience to God is to the one who is the one of branches attached to the vine. Just as a result of being attached forever to Christ and his love. Final result of abiding in the true vine of Jesus Christ is joy. Verse 11 says, I've told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I think that's one of the saddest questions that I'm asked in a, in a therapeutic setting. Many people ask me, I, I just can't find my joy. It's kind of easy to be happy. I can go to the movies and be happy. I can watch a TV show and be happy. I can get a smile from somebody and be happy. But how, how do I find joy? Where does joy come from? Well, I'm going to tell you. Abiding in Christ totally feeding and relying on his grace bearing fruit loving others and obeying produces the joy of the Lord in you how could we be unhappy doing that how can we be unhappy being that close to Christ we're the only people who move away from that Jesus doesn't step back and go you need to clean yourself up before you get that close to me again no I think he's, the picture I see is Jesus just constantly, his arms open going, please, don't do that again. Come to me, rest here. Let me show you. Jesus came into the world to bring to us the fullness of joy. To bring good news and great joy. It's not an emotional high, but an enduring fullness of being and living in the vine of Christ. I think the obvious question at this point for me, I think for all of us, is simply this. Is God producing fruit in your life? Is God producing fruit in your life? Are these things in your life that you can only explain because God is at work in you? I ask myself that question is, is, is this thing happening because God's at work in me? Or can I make a list of things, well, this has happened because I did this, or I did this, or I did this. There's a lot of that, right? But are there evidences of only God could pull this off for you? Because they're miracles. They're things that you have no control over and you had no right to lay any claim to it whatsoever. Is God doing that in your life? So that's that first question, is God producing fruit in your life? The second question is this, do you know the pruning work of God in your life? Do you know the pruning work of God in your life? Jesus is encouraging his disciples that they are true branches because they are connected to the true vine. So we're only aware of that pruning in our life if that pruning is going on. And there's no one in this room, there's no one watching this online that can say, I, I think I've been pruned enough. He's got it all. Now, there's another one. <laughs> Pride, let's prune that, right? None of us can say that. We can't say that on a daily basis. 
I think we constantly just ask, God, prune what needs to be pruned today. Help me to see it. Help me to see the change I need to make. Prune this in my life. Take it from me. And do the work that needs to happen for that. If it's alcohol or drugs, if it's, if it's pornography, whatever those things are, get God involved in it. Let him lead you through it. And then continually allow him to lead you through it by seeking accountability. Go into meetings. Do whatever you need to do to overcome that. They've been cleansed by their sins, of their sins, because they've heard the words of Jesus and believed in the words of Jesus. That's what he wants us to know. Remain in me and bear fruit. 1 John 2, 24 through 25 says, See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. Make sure that this is the case. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. It's all of God's grace. It's all of God's grace and our condition or position of staying. It's all God's grace and our condition and position of staying. It has nothing to do with performance, but on us being totally dependent on Him and Him alone and producing what He intends for us to produce, good and godly fruit that will last If you believe in my name, you'll continue to abide in me because you belong to me, says Jesus. So where are you today? Maybe it's a decision as we sit in here and and our our time is is run out and very well aware of that. Some of you are thinking about the roast in the oven. I told you a couple more minutes and we'll be behind the other people that have already gone through the line. What is God saying to you right now? Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I don't, I don't even know where the vine is. I've never been a part of the vine. And you need to accept Christ as your personal Savior today for the very first time. Or maybe you made some decision years ago in your life and, and you've never been close to the vine. You've made these claims of religiosity. You've had good church attendance. Even you read your Bible, but there's no relationship with him. If that's a decision you need to make today, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. And if that's something you need to do, we just want you to slip your hand up high in there so I can see and we can celebrate with you if it's a decision you want to make today. Anybody at all? All right. So we're all claiming today to know Jesus Christ all claiming to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and this is the question I want you to leave with and it's about where he needs to prune where does God need to prune you in your life to not blot that nourishment from getting through that branch so that you can produce the fruit that he wants you to produce not just a fruit but fruit for people to be attracted to not be a distracted from that's my prayer today we're going to close with that prayer and uh, and depart on that so let's pray together as we close God I'm thankful for this morning I'm thankful for your word God I'm, I'm thankful for 
for how direct it can be. I'm thankful that through all these years that it made it to this place today that that you ordained this moment for every person to be in the seat that they're in right now. That situations worked out this morning for them to be present. For me to be present. For our, our worship team to be present. For our volunteers to be present today because of what you wanted us to hear. So God, my prayer right now is prune us where we need to be pruned. Help us to be fruitful, God to be attractive to those around us, those who are seeking something. God, we want to be people that are fruitful, that people want to be around. We don't want to be a distraction to your word. So God, change us where we need to be changed this day. We thank you and we love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Have a great week.